Welcome to Landmark Worship Center's audio podcast. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage your life. So open your heart and mind and receive what God has for you today. Psalms 51 and 12 and verse 13, 12 and 13. And also Psalms 138 and 7. We're going to read some scriptures. If you could stand at the reading of the word, and then we'll let you be seated again. We have a little disturbance in the air, frequencies. I rebuke it in Jesus' name. Might as well rebuke it. In Jesus' name. There's power in the name of Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Book of Psalms, chapter 51 and 12 and verse 13. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. How many love the joy of the salvation of the Lord? Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways. And sinners shall be converted unto thee. Also turning over the book of Psalms 138, verse 7. Psalms 138, verse 7. And as you're turning there, I want to be preaching on this subject, misconception of revival. Misconception of revival. Psalms 138.7 Though I walk in the midst of trouble Thou wilt revive me Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand Against the wrath of mine enemies And thy right hand shall save me Though I walk in the midst of trouble Thou wilt revive me Amen That's a beautiful thing to be revived refreshed strengthened again amen but there is a misconception of revival and I want to preach on that today God bless you you may be seated how many enjoyed the revival service on Wednesday night wonderful word for us from brother Hart we're going to try to schedule to have him back for revival services and um, I know that a lot of times we have this concept of revival that it is a certain pattern of, script, of services. And uh, there's a lot of misconceptions in this, and we're going to preach on that today. But there's a lot of misconceptions in life. Sometimes we have this misconception um, about a lot of things and about certain things we thought it was going to be a certain way but yet it wasn't that way we thought it was that way all of our lives or maybe for several months or a few years and then we finally come to the conclusion that that wasn't the way it was at all so there's misconceptions and I I kind of ran through a few things that that uh, we might have a misconception about and I know as I speak these things it's probably going to really 
really mess you up here today because you thought that it was a certain way and it really wasn't that way. Um, some say it might mess up your apple cart. I don't know if you push an apple cart or not, but it's going to turn over that apple cart because you thought it was a certain way. But how many have thought all your life that in the book of Genesis that Adam and Eve ate an apple? Some of us probably thought that at one time. I thought it at one time before I uh, really dug into the word, and, and that was what I thought back years ago when I was a, a young man. I always thought that Adam and Eve ate an apple, and um, that that was the forbidden fruit. But the Bible doesn't say what that fruit was. It just says it was a fruit. And it could have been an apple, but really this idea of the apple comes from an artist's painting or a rendition of an artist. It was, came into his mind, well, let's put some type of identification on it, that it is an apple. So it was from an artist's painting and his idea that it was an apple. Another thing that uh, I know this is going to really mess you up, those that like Chinese food, um, it's about the fortune cookie, I'm sorry to say, but the fortune cookie, despite being associated with Chinese cuisine in the United States of America, it was not created in China. Um, they invented it in Japan and introduced to the U.S. by the Japanese. And really, the the, the, the Chinese fortune cookie that we thought it was, uh, the cookies are extremely rare in China, uh, where they are seen as symbols of American cuisine. They look at it, it's the American fortune cookie. And I, I also want to say, and this is my own thoughts on misconceptions, that the fortunes inside of those don't mean a hill of beans. Now, I will say one fortune that I did see in there that, that I, I just took it and I put it away in my work truck as I ate this and I pulled it out and it said, it said your favorite sports team is going to win the championship. And I had been waiting for 50 years for the Kansas City Chiefs to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> And about six to eight months later, that fortune came to pass. So there's only one that I could say that it actually came to pass, and that was the one. So I still have that in my truck some, somewhere just to remember it. But I want you to know that fortunes and fortune cookies, you can't live your life by a fortune cookie. It's just not wise. Uh, another thing that has been a misconception in the history of America is George Washington did not have wooden teeth. I've often thought about this. How could you, how could you eat with wooden teeth? He did not have wooden teeth. His dentures were made of gold, and they were also made of hippopotamus, ivory, and lead. He actually had lead in his mouth. And it, it was also made of animal teeth, including horse teeth and donkey teeth, and probably even made of human teeth. 
uh, that were put in his dentures. So I know that messes everything up about everything you've ever thought and believed, but we have a lot of misconceptions, not only in the world and in history, but we also have misconceptions about revival. Sometimes we have this thought, we probably all have had the thought that, yeah, if we just have, if we just have a series of revival services, we schedule them, and we bring in an evangelist, and he preaches, and we have what we call a revival that uh, it will grow the church, we'll have a great harvest, souls will be saved, lives will be changed. There is a little portion of truth to that, but there is something we've got to back up and understand here so we don't get the misconception of what revival is. You see, when a soul comes to the Lord that's never came to the Lord before, uh, it's not reviving them. They're getting it for the first time. But we've used the word revival, and the word revival is not in the Bible. Uh, the word revive is in the Bible in various scriptures, about seven scriptures there that talks about revive, to revive them. They, revive, they were revived. But a revival is, is basically what we call a series of services. We schedule it, we, we advertise it, we bring an evangelist in to preach the powerful word of God, and lives are given to the Lord. People find salvation in their lives, and uh, we see a harvest. But there's something that comes along before that harvest can happen. And that is revival. Revival means to, to bring back to life something that has died, that once was alive. It could even be resuscitating someone to bring them back to life. You're reviving them and bringing them back to life where they can breathe again. Revival is reviving something that was once a part of your life, but now it kind of has died away or it has faded away, and it is a time of reviving, bringing our experience in God back to life again. It says in the book of Chronicles, chapter 7, verse 14, a very familiar uh, verse of Scripture that, uh, that is a part of revival. Uh, the Lord was uh, speaking, the prophet was speaking through, through the man of God to the people that if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves. You see, that's a part of reviving and revival, that we need to come to a point where we re revive ourselves in humbling ourselves before the Lord. When we get sin in our hearts, it brings us to a point of a lot of pride and, and a lot of, lot of drive of of not humbling ourselves before God, but repentance brings us to a point of, of humbling ourselves before the Lord. So he said, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves, so repent, uh, shall ask for forgiveness, uh, humbling ourselves before God. And then he goes on and says, and pray, if my people would just pray, where they prayed before, but it's died out. It's, it's got weakened, and it's faded by the, by the wayside, and it needs to be revived. So a humbling needs to be revived. A prayer life needs to be revived. And then it goes on and says, if my people 
will seek my face. That is another part of uh, uh, where we could get to where we get weak in God because we're not seeking his face anymore through prayer. We're not humbling ourselves before the Lord in prayer. We're not seeking him. We're not desiring to be before him. So we're not seeking his face. And then he goes on and says, my people will turn from their wicked ways. Uh, humbling ourselves in repentance is not just saying, God, forgive me, and I'm going to keep walking the same way I've always been walking. What it means when we repent and ask him to forgive us is for us to turn around from our wicked ways and go a different direction. And that direction doesn't lead you away from God. That direction leads you to God. Because before we came to a need of repentance, we were walking away from God because we were not praying like we should. We were not humbling ourselves like we should. We were not seeking his face. We were not turning from our wicked ways. And then he says, if my people will do these things and find revival, it starts in here. If we will have that revival in our heart, in our soul, in our mind, in our life, in our thinking, in everything about us, he said, then will I hear from heaven. And, forgive, and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Oh, we need healing in our land, not just in our land here, but our land could also constitute the land of our of our church, the landscape of our church, our, our prayer life as a church body, our seeking God's face as a church body, our humbling ourselves before the Lord at an altar of, of prayer and repentance before God. It's something that needs to be done constantly and consistently in God, whether we feel like that we've done anything wrong or not. It wouldn't hurt for us to just simply come before God and say, search my heart, see if there be any wicked way within me. God, forgive me for my sins. But what this scripture says here, and if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land sounds to me like it is a revival that is needed within the people of God and healing will come to their land. Amen? That's what it sounds like. And we're thinking that in the misconception that when we just call a revival service, it's just going to happen. And we're going to bring an evangelist in. We're going to praise God. We're going to worship God. We're going to see a great move of God. But you know the thing that needs to start before we can see a great harvest come to the house of God is there's got to be a revival within our souls. We've got to restore ourselves. And many of you have been restored and refreshed. And here today in this service, there's been a refreshing, uh, there's been a reviving, there's been a revival that has moved uh, within our hearts. But we've got to come to a point where we realize uh, I need revival in my heart and in my soul every day. Uh, every, every day that I live, every time I breathe a breath in, I need revival. Revive me, God. Let me humble myself before you. Uh, let me pray. Let me seek your face and turn from my wicked ways. You know, it comes down when we seek his face. 
and all of these things, we're seeking his face. We get to a point when we're seeking his face, when we have revival in our heart, that that is the utmost importance in our lives, uh, to seek him. Every day when we get up, we're going to try to seek his face. Every morning uh, we get up, before we, we find that cup of coffee or whatever, we're, we're seeking his face. And I know sometimes we need that cup of coffee so we can stay awake, so we can seek his face. I know, I've been there. I'm human just like you are. But then in, during the day, there's times that we pray. We're seeking his face. We're seeking his face at night when we go to bed. We want God to be a part of our lives every day of our lives. There's an antique store in Granite City. You know what the name of it is? Revival. I looked at that and I thought at first, well, maybe that's a church right in downtown Granite City. But no, it's not a, it's not a church. It's an antique store. It's got all kinds of, I, I just see it in the window. I've never been in there, but it's got all kinds of old furniture. It's got all kinds of old things in it. As you see it in the window, some of the things they set outside, but it's called revival. What does that mean? What it means to them and their understanding is they're, they're bringing back to life old things that would be possibly thrown out into the trash, discarded. Someone wants to get rid of it because it's old and it's, and it's a piece of the past and I don't want it around here anymore, but they bring it in and they revive it. It's a revival store to revive the antiques and bring them back to life again, resuscitate them from the dead, from the, from the pit of, of destruction or trash dump to revive them again. And some people see great treasures in those things and they will actually pay a lot of money for antiques. Maybe you got an antique in your house that you think maybe just needs to be thrown out the door into the trash pile, but there's somebody, somebody out there that is desiring to have that peace, that peace. I often thought about this. There's, there's times that people have a, a set, and I, I thought about this several years ago. I don't know why I come up with this. Maybe it was a thought that came to me uh, in a conversation. But there's pieces of, of uh, at one time, collector pieces of Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse and Pluto and all these different uh, you know, Disney characters. And uh, it, it's a collection of, of these porcelain pieces. And one of the pieces might have broke. And so they've lost Minnie Mouse, but there's still Mickey Mouse and Pluto and, and all these different ones. But they don't have the complete set. So there's somebody out there that's looking for that one piece that you have. And they would pay a lot of money to just get that one piece to fill up their collection. You know what I'm talking about? It's a strange illustration, but there's people that, that want antiques. They put great value on these things. They pay a lot of money for it. But in Granite City, this antique store, they understand the importance to society, that they know that what revival means is to bring something back to life. But does the church understand what revival really means? When we have revival and we have a move of God for God's Spirit to move in a mighty way, we've got to revive ourselves. We've got to come back to that point of prayer and humbling and repentance ourselves. We're not going to, we, we shouldn't get the idea that we got to wait for everybody else to repent before we can have a revival. It starts in the body of Christ. It starts with the church that we must come to a point of reviving our own self 
first before God will heal the land. Amen? Revival, it's been said, is the visitation of God which brings to life Christians who have been sleeping and restores a deep sense of God's near presence and holiness. Thence springs a vivid sense of sin, a vivid sense of sin, and profound, profound exercise of heart and repentance and praise and love to the Lord and an evangelistic overflow. Each revival moment has its own distinctive features, but the pattern is the same every time throughout all of history. The revival has been the same things every time. Before there's a move of God in a series of services that we might schedule and have an evangelist come, you know what the evangelist a lot of times has to do? He has to preach messages to get the church revived first because he knows that the church is, and the harvest is not going to come until the church gets revived, until the church learns how to go back to that place in prayer. Amen. It starts out in every revival throughout the history of time. It started out in prayer. It started out in a recommitment to God. It started out being open and understanding that, hey, there's sin in my life and I've got to take care of it. Instead of just sweeping it under the rug and saying, it's going to be okay. It's something that we have to come to a realization about that revival is coming to a point of understanding, God, I've got to take care of this situation. I've got to get it fixed in my life so I can see a move of the Spirit of God in my life. Revival came to North China in 1932 in answer to several years of prayer. At one point, a Nor Norwegian missionary named Maria Monson wondered what good her prayer praying could do. She had prayed for years for the, for the country of China. She was a missionary, and she had prayed for years, but she was trying to figure out what is just my little prayers going to do to make a difference here in this great vast country of China. She longed to see God's river of life flood spiritually dry China. And then she realized, as the Lord spoke to her in her heart, she realized that the mighty uh, Yangtzean River began when the tiny drops of rain came together in the top of the mountains. And Maria sought a prayer partner who would join her in claiming the promise that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that ye ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Matthew 18 and 19. She realized her prayers were just her only in this vast uh, group of population in China. What good is my prayers going to do? But when she began to understand the scripture, that it starts with just two or three agreeing on any given thing, let it be established. And she found that prayer partner, and they began to pray. When she finally found someone, she exclaimed, the awakening has begun. 
two of us have agreed the raindrops of revival prayer were coming together and any river the Mississippi River the Missouri River it started from just a little stream but you know where it actually came from it came from drops of rain coming down collecting together covering that land and flowing out of springs and forming the Missouri River and the Mississippi River and it begins to flow down into the St. Louis area and then on down to New Orleans into the Great Delta and it's a it's it started from just little raindrops here and there what difference can you make in this uh, harvest field of reaching lives that need to be touched today uh, what your prayers have uh, importance in is your prayers your drop of rain connected with my drop of rain and your drop of rain and others drop of rain when we agreed together things begin to happen and it begins to flow as a move of the spirit of God like a river Healing takes place. Miracles take place. Victory takes place. But it starts not just in having a series of services. It starts in revival of my own soul. Amen. You see, conviction and repentance of sins come from revival. We get a conviction of sin. We get a feeling that, hey, this is not right in my heart. It's the moving of the Spirit of God. But we come to that point of conviction. And then it brings us to that point of repentance of those sins. A reviving comes of praise and worship to God. You're more sensitive to the moving of the Spirit of God when we're revived ourselves. And then we become God conscious in the midst of a personal revival. We become God conscious. We're not forgetting about God in a day's time every day we're thinking about God and we're thinking about the coming of the Lord and we're thinking about souls that are lost that might walk into that lake of fire and we cannot deal with that we cannot have that we've got to be God conscious but it starts a revival within our own soul turning from our sinful lifestyle even the little things we might feel that we're doing good but there's little things we got to deal with we got to fix we got to get it right that's when we have revival within our own soul turning from those sinful lifestyles and then there becomes a great presence of God's spirit moves upon the people of God because of revival because we have prayed and we've given it to God and then when we are revived there is a harvest of souls it starts from God's people being revived themselves and being restored and then there comes a great harvest into the house of God of people's lives that are touched people's lives that are changed but it starts with revival within us amen that's the misconception misconception is it's just bringing new people it's bringing a harvest in it's bringing people that have never found God no revival means those that have had it before have experienced it before are getting revived and refreshed getting things right with God we could get rocked to sleep and sin and just go through the motions with God but God's saying there needs to be a revival a revival there are great revivals of the history of the past the Wales revival the Welch revival during the time of the revival you know what happened when there was revival in Wales 
there was a mighty move of God. There was lives changed. During the time of revival, you realize that the police were left with virtually nothing to do. They had nothing to do because people had prayed through. And we, we, we use that term loosely, but praying through, praying back to God, praying back to that experience, relationship with God. But the police had nothing to do because people had repented and they weren't doing anything wrong because they didn't have that evil in their heart to do something wrong against other people. They had prayed through. They had seen God touch them and they had revival in their own soul. Saloons and bars had to shut down for lack of business when revival came. Public drunkenness was almost non-existent because revival came to Wales. Old debts, many long forgotten, were paid off in full when revival comes. That's revival. Traveling theatrical um, uh, agencies canceled their engagements as everyone is in church. They weren't going to, they weren't going to the, the theaters because they were in church. They had a revival. There was a move of God that touched that, that area. And lives were not just set free for a moment's time. They were changed. They were changed. Profanity disappeared. Wow, that's revival. I've heard people say, I'm a Christian, and they speak like a, talk like a sailor. Trust me, sailors don't talk real clean. A lot of bad things in there. Not all of them, but some of them. Some of us have to watch what we're doing in our lives and understand we need revival in our heart, soul, mind, in our life. But profanity disappeared. It was said that the horses everywhere were in complete confusion. They had become accustomed to responding to their master's profane shouts and kicks and cursings, virtually of all of which had disappeared. So they, the horses were confused, trying to figure out what's going on because there was revival. Matter of fact, at one rugby match, a pastor said he heard only one man cursing at a rugby match, who thereupon repented. <laughs> and of the 40,000 present in that rugby stadium, 10,000 began to sing hymns to the Lord. Of the 40,000 present, and relationships were healed and marriages were restored because of revival. And that revival came to America. In 1904, uh, the Atlanta newspapers reported an amazing revival of prayer sweeping the city. On November 2nd, the Supreme Court of Georgia closed so people could attend prayer meetings. That's revival. Stores, factories, offices, and even saloons followed suit because they were making a way for people to go to prayer meetings. For two hours of midday, all Denver was held in a spell. The marts of trade were deserted between noon and two o'clock this afternoon, the Denver Post reported on January 20th, 1905. In Kentucky, one Kentucky pastor died of overwork after receiving 1,000 new members in two months. That's revival. The pastor would die because he got 1,000 people. Out of a population of 50,000, 
Only 50 unconverted adults remain in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Out of 50,000 in that day, only 50 unconverted adults remained in Atlantic City, New Jersey. How could that be? It doesn't just happen. It starts with revival in the church. It starts in revival within our hearts. Repentance and a revival. Repentance deepens. There was such a change in people's lives that the revival in Ulster in the 1920s, listen to this, the shipyard workers, because of there was revival and repentance, the shipyard workers brought back so many stolen tools that they had to make new sheds. They had to build new houses to recover the property that was stolen because revival came. And it started with just a few in prayer thinking I don't know how much good my prayers are doing until they were found someone to join them and a few drops here and a few drops there and it began to grow and revival within the church it began to flourish to the point where people's lives were changed it was said by Stephen Olford revival is an invasion from heaven that brings a conscience awareness of God we don't stop thinking about God when we're in the midst a revival of the heart and soul we're thinking about him we're desiring him we're thinking about his coming we're trying to make sure things are fixed within our lives uh, amen Howard Springs said the kingdom of God is not going to advance by our churches becoming filled with men but men and our churches becoming filled with God that is how a kingdom of God is able to advance it's when God gets inside of us to the point where we can't stop praying, we can't stop worshiping, we cannot stop praising, uh, we cannot stop reaching, we cannot stop these things because it becomes a part of us. Uh, amen. Brian Edwards said in Revival, the minds of people are concentrated upon things of eternity and there is an awareness that nothing else really matters. That's what happens in Revival of the power of God's Spirit within our lives. It begins to churn within us a passion for the things of God. Not the things of the world, but the things of God. Amen. Revival starts within us. Within us. The Bible says in the book of Psalms that David had a revival. He had a revival. He had the right conception of revival. It says in Psalms 51, 1, and on down, it says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba, he had an awakening. He had a revival. As he said to the Lord, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness." According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Blot it out. He knew where to turn to was the Lord. He said in verse 2, wash me thoroughly, not just partly, thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 3, for I acknowledge my transgressions. This is what revival does. It gets us to a point where we acknowledge 
our transgressions, our mistakes, our sins, our, our struggles, and, and we get them worked out. I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Verse 4, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Verse 5, behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin, sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Verse 7, he began to say, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. If it comes from God, it's, it's going to make us clean. But it starts with us. When his spirit begins to flow through us and his blood begins to cover us, he was craving purging with hyssop. And I shall be clean, wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. And verse 8, make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. He was broken. He was broken and in repentance and humbled before God. You see how this is, is coming to a point where he was understanding revival, a reviving of his own soul. <laughs> I've got to get this right, God. And then he said in verse 9, but, but he was saying in verse 8, maybe to hear joy and gladness. He, was, he wasn't feeling joy and gladness anymore. But he said, if you'll give me the joy and gladness, and I could find cleansing, that the bones which thou, which God hast allowed to be broken, the things that are broken in my life, when I find repentance and reviving, and those bones that have been broken in my life can rejoice for victory that has come. Create in me a clean heart. Well, he goes in verse 9, says, Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Verse 11, Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And then verse 12 and verse 13 comes to the point of the results of a revival of his soul. Then comes the harvest. Verse 12, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and behold me with thy free spirit. And when that happens, verse 13 says, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. See, David understood what revival is all about. It starts in me first. Before I can teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. You see, David said, I. It starts here. I. I got to fix this. I will teach transgressors thy way. Sinners shall be converted. You see, revival in a heart will produce a passion for lost souls. For lost souls. But it starts in here. If we don't have revival in our own heart, we, we won't care about anything but ourselves. It's all about us. 
It's all about what I want. It's all about the flesh. It's all about what the flesh, to please the flesh. It's all about me. But when we get revival, I know that's exactly what happened. It wasn't revival for me when I first came to the Lord, but I was all about me. But when I came to the Lord for the first time, it wasn't called revival. I was a product of revival in a church. And when I came to the Lord and I received the power of God in my life, I tell you what it did. It changed my way of thinking. It changed. It wasn't all about me anymore. I got a, a passion for reaching out to other people that, 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 that didn't know what it was like to find peace and true love and true help in their lives. I had a passion and a burden for their lives. But it started in a revival or a refreshing and, and, and filling in my own heart. It wasn't revival, it was a newness in my life. But then every day after that, it's important for me in my life to continue to have a revival in my heart. That when we have a schedule of services and we come to the house of God, it's not for them to get us right before they can get the revival or the, the harvest uh, happening within the church we're already right we're already prayed up we've got our hearts in an altar of prayer we've got our worship going on to the Lord we're connecting with him we've had revival within our own heart and soul to the point where we're we're not we're not falling behind we're we're moving ahead in the Lord and we can hit revival and a move of the spirit of God with great powerful victory and lives will be changed but it starts with us revival in our heart will produce a passion for souls. You'll get to a point where you can't wait for others to be reached. And you also can't wait for others to reach lives. You can't expect others to do it and sit and wait because revival, when you've got revival in your own heart, others are reaching, but we're reaching too. Our drop mixed with your drop and somebody else's drop and another drop of a congregation landmark, we could see a great and mighty move of the Spirit of God. Luke 22 and 32 says, uh, But I have prayed for thee. Thy faith fail not, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. It's not all about me when I have revival in my heart. And when I'm converted, it's about reaching out to others and strengthening others along the way. We need one another. We need revival within the church heart, the heart of the church body. We need revival every day. We need to keep it before us. We need to constantly recommit ourselves to God and reconfess our life before Him. Get a hunger in prayer. Don't give up on prayer and think that you're just one person. No, you're not just one person. There's other people that are praying also and seeking God for the same harvest that you're seeking God for, but it starts within us. No one greater to reach souls than a revived and converted life. Nobody greater to reach a soul than David that has been through the heartache and the pain of his own sin. And he's able to reach out to others that have the struggle within their lives. There's no greater one to reach and revive and reach souls than someone that has been through the experience and the struggle and has found revival within their hearts. Amen. They do it with passion. They do it with patience. They do it with understanding because they've experienced that pit themselves and they understand what they've got to do to get where they need to be in God. They understand they need the joy. They need the strength. They need the help. And there's no greater soul winner than someone that has been through the experiences themselves. Amen. 
Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul is a great example of this. <laughs> I don't know of too many people in the Bible that was so vicious and vile. He stood by and held the coats and encouraged them on to murder these Christians. Murder these Christians. Kill them. He thought he was doing a job for God. He was so deceived. Vicious. Even went to Damascus with letters in his hand. He was breathing out threatenings. You know, when you really got this hatred, you got, you're breathing out threatenings of hate, murder, destroying. There's no greater example of someone that was able to reach souls because of revival that came to his life. Paul claimed to be the chiefest of sinners. But he had a conversion. It was a miracle conversion on his way to Damascus. He had the letters in his hand. Who's going to be murdered? Here's the letters. I come from the chief, chief priests. These need to be destroyed. These Christians need to be destroyed. But on the way, the Lord blinded his eyes as the light came down and blinded him. Like great scales over his eyes. He couldn't see. He was dependent on other people. He was, he was a man that didn't depend on anybody but himself. Until he found himself wandering around in blindness. And then the Lord began to speak to him from heaven of what he was doing and what he needed to do. Find a man in the city, Ananias. He's going to tell you what to do. It's a word from me. And he was led into the city where Ananias was. And when he got there, Ananias began to speak to him. But it was a miraculous revival supernatural revival every revival that comes to us and comes to this church if it's a revival that's going to make a difference it only comes from God it only comes from God it only comes from the powerful word of God it only comes through the powerful spirit of God if it's going to make a difference in our lives, it's going to be supernatural and it's going to be from the Almighty God. <laughs> what we need, church, is a continual revival so that we can have a continual harvest. The book of James chapter 5, as we stand here today, James chapter 5, verse 20. It says, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall, have, shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. We can't get there until we're converted ourselves.
and revived ourselves. Continue revival where this building can't contain the harvest of souls comes through a revival in us first. I remember my home church, such powerful miracles that happened there, Springfield, Missouri. It seemed like we continually had people receiving the Holy Ghost. Continually. We continually had people baptized in the name of the Lord. We continually had people turn their lives around. It got to a point where we had to add on to the church building. We continually had. It was almost like every service we had someone experiencing the power of the Holy Ghost and conversion and salvation in their lives. It was amazing. But it came, I believe, as a firm believer, that it came because there was a prayer room that was alive. It came because there was revival within the church first. It came because there was a hungering and a thirsting and an atmosphere of hungry people that were revived. And that's the reason why harvest came. Revival starts with us. A harvest of new souls is dependent on the revival of the church. It all starts with us. If we want our family and friends to be saved, it starts with us. Let Landmark have a continued move of the Lord. Miracles, wonders, glorious, powerful experiences in God. And in the song service where we walk to the altar, we need a touch from God. Thank God for that. That is a move of God. We're hungry. We're thirsty for a move of the Lord. But let it start with revival, a continual revival within us. Let us come to the altar. Let's pour it out to God. Let us pray to the Lord. Let us empty it out before God. Let God's Spirit move upon us and revive us to where we can have not only a continued revival within us, but we can have a continued revival and a move of the harvest of God in His kingdom, in this church, in this community, in this area. I'm calling the church to come. Let us come and let us seek God. Let us find a place to pray. Let us call out to the Lord. Let God flood your spirit again. Let Him refresh that passion before God again. Oh, let Him flow through us again. Revive us, oh God. You revive are us, the source. Oh God.